This is the Road to Russia 2018 podcast. Welcome to Road to Russia 2018, our final podcast because World Cup Russia is here. Gareth Wheeler, Andy Petrillo with you. Are you ready for it, Andy? I'm officially excited. Now I start to feel it, right? I know we've been talking about it for the last couple months with this podcast, but now when you know that the final squads have been set, there's like one more friendly to go, you're like, this is it. This is happening. Right. Mm -hmm. Andy Petrillo providing coverage on the television side, the recap show on a daily basis. She's going to be front and center. Myself, of course, alongside Terry Dunfield, who will join us in a moment's time, will bring you each and every match across the TSN radio network. I know we're probably going to talk about our favorites, like just quick. Let's save our picks to the end. We're going to make you wait. Our World Cup final. Mm-hmm. Our golden boot winner and our golden ball winner. Oh, okay? okay, we'll save that for the end of the podcast. Okay, so hang it. with us. Peter Montopoli, the Canadian Soccer Association, will join us to weigh in on the United Bid 2026, which will go down the Wednesday, mm-hmm. June 13th, 13th, the day before Russia takes on Saudi Arabia in the tournament opener. And Jay Demerit, former U.S. Men's National Team member, will join us as well to look ahead to this summer's tournament. Joining us on our TSN radio broadcast throughout the entire tournament is former Canadian international turned TSN soccer analyst, Terry Dunfield. And guess what, Andy? Mm. Terry's joining us on the line. Welcome to the pod, Terry. Thanks, guys. Hey, Andy, what's going on? Uh, I've been asking about you. Apparently you were like slacking, so now we've got you in for the final one. I was just coming in late, you know, trying to make an impression. (laughs) Right. A little bit like some of the World Cup squads. It, yeah. does, it doesn't matter how many, you know, how many times you're on the plot. It just you need to bring the quality when you arrive. That's what I'm it's like, all about. I'm, I'm like Neuer, I just, you know, just coming in for the big show. You know what I mean? Okay, grand I'm, entrance, my friend. By dropping Neuer, I'm guessing you're on Germany when it comes to this tournament. Would that be a fair assessment, Terry? Yeah, and I'm going to be brave and just like he said, and and I I want Germany to take chances, take risks. But I, I think their experience, the way that they're going to play will give themselves an opportunity to at least get to the semifinal. Uh, and, and then I think they need to take chances, risk. The, my only worry for Germany is where the goals are going to come from. And I love Mueller. Uh, I think his best position is in number nine, but he doesn't have a whole bunch of support up there in his form. As good as Bayern Munich has been, it hasn't been so good in front of goal, in my opinion. It's difficult to repeat as champions. Uh, and I think that they're going to miss a lot of the big game players, the big match players that they had in 2014. No more Schweinsteiger. No more Klosa. Goats is not in the team. Philip Lahm. You know what I mean, Terry? There's, there's been some turnover. We're going to try to empower a much younger group of players. I mean, Sammy Kadir is not the player he was. Mesut Ozil, I think he's coming off a really difficult campaign at Arsenal. I'm just not all that convinced that this German team is good enough to win this tournament. Guys, I don't, I don't know what you think, but I, I, I think you need to evolve. And, and I think teams need to grow and, and, and I think you need new blood and, and they've got nice new blood players like Royce, Gundogan, players that can step up and, and, and Draxler, players that played bit part plays in the Euros in, in the previous World Cup. So I, I still think you have your Crudes and your Oldsels and your Mueller's and Neuer's that can get these guys through. I think the fact that Sané isn't going just sort of shows how the ethos of Germany that they're not going to look to play out wide and, and, and they're not going to play through individuals, that it's going to be a real collective approach. And, and, and I like that. Uh, and we know that's what soccer is, a collective approach, but is there any kind of concern, just because you did mention him, and he really was a star in 2014, Emmanuel Neuer, and we mm-hmm. know that he's coming off the injury. He did play in their friendly against Austria. 
Uh, that was just a few days ago on June 2nd. They have another one coming up on June 8th. But it was a 2-1 loss to Austria with him in net. I don't know how much you read into that at all, Terry, if anything. Yeah, I, I think he's protected. I think he's got good center halves, Hummels in front of him, Boateng, good fullback. So I, I think he'll be protected through the group stages. But if Germany are going to win a World Cup again, then come the later stages of the competition, if they can get there, then I think he'll need to start to stand on his head. So I think he's kind of got the group stages to get to the levels he needs to be, uh, that, that he's shown his, his form in years past. Uh, where he can step up and, and help Germ- Germany lift the World Cup. Do I think he'll be at his best come the start of the World Cup? No, but I think he'll get there. Can, can, I, go, can I go way offside here? Because I don't even think they're going to win their group. And I don't know what that means about them long-term in this tournament, but I think if there's one team that can play with them in their group, it's Mexico, uh, Terry. A team that's perennially gets knocked out six times in a row in, this, in the second round of this tournament, but a team that I think is ripe to p- perhaps... Pull off somewhat of an upset. They played in the Confederations Cup last summer in Russia. They're going to be acclimatized to where they're playing. And again, maybe it's just me, but I think this German side's vulnerable. Yeah, I, th- I think Mexico's an interesting one. I, I don't know what your take is, Andy, but I, I think they're a younger team. I, I think they'll play with an exuberance. Uh, I, I think they'll play with a little bit of freedom. I actually know their coach quite well, uh, John Carlos Azorio. He was my fitness coach back at Manchester City in the day, so... I hope he does well. Uh, my, my biggest probably concern with Mexico is under pressure. Can, can they really defend? Will, will, will they break? And then if they do, how can a young squad react to that? If it doesn't go well in game one of the tournament. How's your fitness? <laughs> I just That's exactly what I was thinking. Exactly. I was. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, maybe I don't like Mexico after all. <laughs> Uh, in terms of a golden boot winner, are, are you tipping anyone? Do you have a I favorite? This is anything to go by. They're struggling. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> There's a bit of a delay on the call, so I just got that, Andy. I like it. Yeah. Uh, too far. Okay, well, let me ask you this. Um, speaking of, I, I want to also just, <laughs> this guy's just like laughing now. It's like, what are we on some sort of like delay? But uh, let's move on over to Argentina. And the reason why I make that shift is because, and we were just talking about Germany, Germany is the thorn in the side of the Argentinians when you look at the last three World Cups. They're the reason why they've been eliminated. In fact, they always seem to face Germany in the World Cup and not play that well. Um, but with Argentina, what are you making of you know, their chances of moving on? This is a team that you know, made the final in 2014. The last two Copa Americas made the final, but of course lost uh, all three of those big matches. And we know what this means for Lionel Messi. What is your take on that squad? Will, do you want to go first, then I'll come in? Well, with with Argentina, I don't even pick them getting out of the group. <laughs> it's just, a, let, let, just as simple as listen, that. Listen, good, good teams That's in this tournament Good teams in this tournament are built from the back. And I don't know how Jorge Sampaoli is going to set out of his, out his team, but all I know is they're down their number one goalkeeper in Sergio Romero. They have a back line potentially of Otamendi and Arojo. They have all the attacking talent in the world. This is a team that struggled through qualification, Terry. And I when I watched them lose 6-1, I know it was just a friendly last month, but it left an impression on me that this this team isn't as complete as they should be, and all they have intriguing pieces as a collective, they're not all that. 
Yeah, well summed up. I'd, I'd agree with most of that. I, I, I think defensively is their biggest concern, and I, I think they defend as individuals. And on the biggest stage, I, I think that that can be opened up and really exposed. I think in international football, there's a lot of video. There's a lot of preparation that goes into each game, and I, I think any weaknesses are going to be exposed by, by all nations now. I, I don't think there's any weak sides in the World Cup where you're like, yeah, that's an easy game. So I think teams will look to expose how Argentina defended is individuals, in my opinion. Missing their goalkeeper is going to be a huge blow, but they've got a ton going forward. And for me, that can be a good thing, but it also can be a little bit of a headache for the manager. And how do you fit all these pieces in with so much individual talent? How do you get Dybala and Messi to play together? Right. So, so I, I, I think that, that that'll be interesting. And if they can click and on their day, they could easily score three, four, five goals, uh, but can, can they defend and how will all these front players come together? That's that's what, for me, is going to be interesting. Terry, uh, we have 30 seconds. Who are you tipping for a golden boot? Either Griezmann or Mueller. Thanks for this, Terry. No problem. Made my afternoon. Have a good day, guys. Now I'm kind of questioning my Mexican pick based upon that. <laughs> the second you find out that Terry got fitness training from their I coach, know. you're like, mm, I don't know about that. Don't don't judge him based on Terry's fitness level. Just don't do it. I'm trying to picture Dunfield a decade ago, not the Dunfield today. Yeah, that's what you need to do. All right. Yeah. Uh, one one topic that that came up this week, I think it was it shocked many people. There'd been. So many notable omissions from various squads at this World Cup. Leroy Sané? Because mm-hmm. Terry's a former Man City player. Sané, the young player of the year in the Premier League, yeah. left off Germany? I, I don't get that one. Yeah, part Andy of at all. You know, Man City, That's obviously they end up winning the title. It's huge. And I have to say, I was in London, England for uh, New Year's Eve and decided to take in a game. Right. Went to Crystal Palace. So I saw Crystal Palace take on Man City. Saw Sané live. You can't even put into words how incredible this player is and how he dominated that game right. and just every touch. You just knew a play was going to come from it. Uh, and I know, again, you know, I guess that can speak to the depth of what this German squad is dealing with. But And he's young, and, and I believe that's also... Um, you know, what What uh, the national team was saying is that this is a guy who could still be a part of this, you know, for years to come, uh, just given that he is such a young guy. He's a young player. What is he, 22? So... But, but he helped. But he helped now. I put him in ahead of Brent. But I you're right. Put him he in helps Maxler. I, I just he, he's a game changer, mm-hmm. and he's being left off this German side. And I don't think because there's better players. I think it's a mistake. Yeah, just I, like Nangolin with Belgium. It's just it's one of those things where I just don't agree with that decision. No, it is a little bizarre. But of course, it will. The I always say proof is in the pudding. So once the tournament starts, if you see that this is a German side that is not able, but it's hard to say that because they're great and score goals. Yeah. But that would be the one question about that German side. Maybe. And if they're not doing that, then that ends up, you, you start, that's the exact name you bring up right away is Leroy Sane and what happened there. We'll discuss that a little bit later in the pod. Uh, United bid 2016. It should be front and center. Not talked about all that much or not enough for my liking in this country right now. The general secretary of the Canadian Soccer Association, Peter Montopoli, will join us next. I'm Wheeler. She's Petrillo. This is Road to Russia 2018. You're listening to the Road to Russia 2018 podcast. Welcome back to Road to Russia 2018. Gareth Wheeler, Andy Petrillo. I feel like the 2026 World Cup bid should be a bigger deal than it is right now in this country, Andy. 
I don't feel like enough people are talking about it because it's going to be decided whether Canada will host World Cup games come next Wednesday. Because there are still so many questions that need to be answered. And, you know, hopefully when our next guest joins us, some of those questions will be because, you know, and, and as you would know this as well, Gareth, when you're going into major events, everybody always wants to know what does that mean for the country as far as money? Right. Like finances. What are we losing? What are we gaining? And then if you're you know, a huge sports fan and you're, you're part of that side of legacy. OK, well, what does this mean for our sports teams? And history has shown that when you do host, you typically then start to create better athletes in your nation. You just have to look at Canada right. at the Olympics with the 2010 games. Canada continued to go on the rise uh, as far as the 2014 Winter Olympics and then, of course, setting a record with the amount of medals they won in 2018 because now you have the infrastructure in place and all these athletes have incredible home bases in Calgary. Same thing even when it came to Rio. Hosted the 2015 Pan American Games. It was held in Toronto, Ontario. All of a sudden, all this infrastructure gets built. Now you have these incredible athletes competing uh, at the Summer Olympics and ending up on podiums. So now what does this mean for the Canadian national team if you right. do something like this, and, right? And, and not to mention Canada actually playing in a FIFA World Cup. Men's but, side. Men's yes, side. on the men's side. Yes. But let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Wednesday is the big day. Joining us on the line from London, England... It is the General Secretary of the Canadian Soccer Association, a big week ahead for Canada Soccer and the United bid for 2026 in the FIFA World Cup. Here is Peter Montopoli. Welcome to the program, Peter. It's a big week for you and the association. How are you feeling right now, Peter? I'm feeling very good and uh, very comfortable in terms of uh, everything that's uh, progressed up until this point, and we look forward to uh, next week, uh, when we continue to push forward to the vote on June 13th. The process is flashed before our eyes. I mean, you've been ingrained within it on a daily basis, Peter. Is the work still continuing on until Wednesday when the announcement will be made? Well, like, what, 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 is, what is the situation? What does the landscape look like right now for you in the United bid? So I actually have one more visit on Friday. That's in Gibraltar. That's the end of our international relations campaign. And then we plan for a presentation at the People Congress. As part of, of that, we're still dialoguing with all the member associations and all the delegates who would be voting that day. As you know, it's the first time in FIFA history that the, the member associations are voting. And it's not the executive committee, per se, that was historically in charge of selecting uh, future FIFA World Cup host countries. We've had a, a really strong international relations campaign the last couple of months. It's coming to an end this week, and we'll continue next week to meet, greet, see uh, every delegate possible while we're in Moscow. Peter, can you take us through what the bid looks like exactly? For you know, people have always heard of of the United Bid, but what is the exact proposal? Games being played where? Thank you for that question, Andy. Our overall vision is football for all in that there's three pillars of unity, certainty, and opportunity. Unity you see by the three countries doing something that maybe not one country could do alone anymore because it's 48 countries that are part of the 2026 uh, FIFA World Cup, the first time it's expanded from 32 to 48, so it's 50% more countries. And you're going to need a lot more infrastructure and government resources uh, within a country to do it. So we feel like our three countries are best positioned to do that, so we are united as one. The certainty comes in where we have 23 candidate host cities, three in Canada, three in Mexico, and the remaining in the United States. We would have to bring it down to 16 should we be accorded that opportunity to host. And the infrastructure is already in place. All the stadiums are already in place, and all 23 candidate host cities, airports are in place. 
We have 150 training centers between the 23 cities. Accommodations are all in place, transport systems. So our competitor has indicated they're spending $15 billion to put the pieces in place. For us, that's already in play. So we can concentrate on football for all, delivering grassroots football, what's best for football across the globe. And, and the last part is opportunity, which is basically the financial pieces to the competition that we feel like are very strong for our competition. We've announced possibilities of a net profit of $11 billion, which would make it the, the largest uh, financial gain of any sporting event ever. Wow. Uh, and we feel very comfortable with those numbers. So $11 billion spread over 211 member associations over a number of years comes out to about $50 million per member association. So we feel very strong and comfortable in our messaging. It was reinforced by the FIBA Task Force last week when they gave us a ranking of 4 out of 5. For me, that's an 8 out of 10. That's 80%. We feel very comfortable where we've been. Still work to do. Very strong position for Canada, Mexico, and the United States as United States. We're chatting with Peter Montopoli, General Secretary of the Canadian Soccer Association, as we're talking about the 2026 bid, uh, the joint bid between Canada, Mexico, and the United States. You, you answered one question there because I find there is always two questions when a country is being asked to host a major event. People want to know, okay, financially, what is this going to mean? And then the other question usually means legacy, and you had just said grassroots level. So if you're talking about Canada and Canadian soccer, what does this mean when you can have a major event like this on home soil? So that's a good question, and I like to answer that by taking people back to what we did in 2015 and before that for women's football, because we can actually demonstrate the power of hosting. Women's football is at the forefront in Canada. We're ranked number four in the world, trying to be number one and knock off our friends in the United States, United States. Over the last decade, in bidding and hosting the FIFA Women's World Cup, we hired John Herdman. We aligned the FIFA Women's Program. We've had more Sinclairs more often, as you've heard John talk about. We have world-class players. We've built the NWSL. We're a founding member of NWSL. So we've committed tremendous resources towards women's football to a point where we feel like we, we are one of the top countries in the world. We have the correct player pathway. What we need to do now is make that same investment on the men's side. The Men's World Cup gives us that linchpin, that piece at the end of the runway over the next eight to ten years to make a difference in men's football in our country, whether that be investment, whether that be infrastructure, whether that be alignment, which John is now to align the program, to deliver a system that's in the best interest of men's soccer in our country. For us to be bidding and possibly hosting the Men's World Cup in 2026 just inspires a whole new generation of our players and investment in the sport. We feel very comfortable that at the end of, we get to 2026, it's a whole new landscape for men's soccer in our country. We've been very happy with three MLS teams, but as you know, that's just not enough. In our Absolutely. Country. More and, of the same. And the World Cup's... More professional, and that's where we're headed. And the World Cup's on a different level, right? Like, Andy has covered World Cups before, Olympic Games, just... You've been there on the ground level as well, Peter. It, it would be a dream come true to be able to host a tournament like this, the world's largest tournament on Canadian, on our very own home soil. Now, it, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, North America, it's about time that the World, come, world Cup comes back to this part of the world. Financially, makes a lot of sense. FIFA, their report, absolutely favors the United bid over the high-risk Moroccan bid. Yet some countries still remain on board, or at least publicly are sharing and showing support for the Moroccan bid. Is there something about that bid that 
that they're just kind of leaning to, Peter? Is it something that maybe that they're wary about the United bid? Like, what are you hearing in terms of constructive feedback? You know, if there was somebody supporting Morocco, they may have had allegiances in, in different fashions, whether it be the French Football Federation or any other, whether it be there in Africa. But, you know, we've had Congobal, which is South America, a very strong confederation. They're supporting us, all 10 countries. We have had the uh, Central America, and we believe with CONCACAF, we have all of the Americans. Uh, we have had a couple of countries, in, even in Africa, declare for us this past week. So, you know, I think that our outreach to all the member associations has made a difference. We continue that relationship. You know, their understanding of the idea of certainty and opportunity uh, is making a difference. And they also see that we could be a template for the future in co-hosting, whether it be maybe some of the Nordic countries that individually they couldn't do it on their own, but three or four of them could potentially do it as a collective. And they like like that concept and like that idea for the future. As we get closer to the date, we're optimistic that, that uh, most of the associations are, are are with us. Some things that have been published in the British press have indicated that some countries simply are wary about rewarding or giving a World Cup to one of the countries whose president right now is named Donald Trump. Has that been a real issue, Peter? Is that Has that been a roadblock no. that you've had to navigate around? No, you know, Derek, it hasn't really come up in our presentations. Uh, you know, we have a strong letter from the White House in terms of visas and how that will work or the competition. Um, but, you know, some people sometimes take a word or two out of one tweet and take it out of context. The way I like to refer to that is this. There may have been a tweet that came out a couple months ago, but followed by that tweet, and that tweet was a very supportive tweet of the United States bidding for the World Cup. It was followed within an hour by the president of Mexico saying, we're united. We're with Canada and the United States football tears down walls. Football unites us. And then the next morning, when uh, our Prime Minister landed, he, he tweeted out as well, he's united with the United States and Mexico. So in reality, we see the three heads of states all saying the same thing, that we are united together. We worked very well with the White House. We worked very well with the U.S. government and the Mexican government. There's a piece of it that, that is part of government. There are government guarantees, and we need all three on board. And that has not been an obstacle whatsoever, the three of us being together. Well, we're really proud of the work that's being put forward. We wish you the best of luck, and this entire nation will be right there behind you in Moscow, where the decision will be made and announced next Wednesday. We'll be watching from afar, Peter. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thanks, Peter. Thank you, Garrett. You always have. Thank you. I appreciate it. Easy to root for a guy like Peter. And, and honestly, Andy, I'm excited to see what kind of shift takes place towards men's soccer in this country mm-hmm. if Wednesday the United bid is successful. Yeah, and it's, I mean, and here's the thing, right? It sometimes it goes without saying, but sometimes you almost have to remind people uh, there's a lot of work that goes into this. Years and years of preparation. And just hearing Peter talk, you know that there's probably 90% of extra work they've done that they haven't you know, either divulged or had the chance to even tell us. We only had so much time mm-hmm. with him, right? But it just shows that they're really trying to cross their T's and dot their I's and make sure that this isn't just beneficial for the country and it makes sense, you know, like I like I discussed before, financially, but also what does this mean for sport in our country and creating a competitive 
national side on the men's team, well, right? Because we know what the women have accomplished. And, 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 and as Peter documented, the process, there's clarity this time around. You know exactly who will be voting for who when it comes to the bid. And we'll see. On, uh, we'll, I, I know that Peter said that Trump isn't a factor, but there's an anti-American sentiment. And it would just be such a, uh, a letdown if what's going on south of the border affects mm-hmm. the two co- other countries who are invested in this in our country, Mexico. Yeah. And you know what? I kind of you know, when he said that that wasn't a concern of people, I, I I believe that and I agree with it only because do you believe Trump is going to be president in 2026? No, but but I, I think that <laughs> some nations said he called our country what and why would we reward a country like that at this time? Yeah. Never mind. Uh, 2026 is about the here and the now. Right. Yeah, and we're reactionary people. I know, and I, I feel but like we mon- can go money down. can sway. I mean, this will be much more profitable, profitable to each and every FIFA member nation. He said 211, they get an even slice of the pie. So if you're Luxembourg, you get the exact same amount of money and profit mm-hmm. from that event as Russia would, as Brazil would. So but if there's we're an incentive go... there to go with the country that's going to make you the most money sure. or go with the bid that's going to make you the and most you gotta money. And you've got to be careful with, with, politi- with politics and ethics. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't care about that in life. I'm just saying when it comes to sporting events, do you want to go down that path? Because we can take a look a lot at a lot of host nations where we can say, shouldn't have been there if you want to talk about politics and ethics. We can even talk about Qatar. Shouldn't be there if we um, want to talk politics and ethics. We, we can talk about Russia right <laughs> now and, and Brazil right? heading into both the World Cup and the Olympics. Right. Uh, so you're, yeah. you're right, Andy. Yeah. Um, best of luck to the Canadian Soccer Association. A big day on Wednesday. TSN will cover it all. A former World Cup player will join us on the program next to share his experience in the world's largest tournament. That's coming up next right here on Road to Russia 2018. This is the Road to Russia 2018 podcast. This is Road to Russia 2018. I know growing up for me, it was a dream that never came to fruition to play in a FIFA World Cup while well, our next guest did just that. Joining us on the line from the West Coast, former U.S. men's national team member. I got to see this guy play live, in person, in the flesh at the 2010 FIFA World Cup. I felt like I was part of it, Andy. Yeah, you jumped on a plane and just went. But being there in South Africa, it was just such a special experience. And I saw an exhilarating 2-2 draw at Ellis Park, the famous, the historic Ellis Park in Johannesburg, South Africa, and Jay Demerit was part of that U.S. men's national team, and he joins us on the line. How's it going, Jay? Doing great, guys. How are you? Awesome. Uh, every four years when the World Cup comes around, do you get a little bit nostalgic just remembering back in the day? Oh, yeah, for sure. I was going to ask you if your ears have ever recovered from those blue azaleas. I'm not sure Oh, my goodness. Remember those <laughs> <But> things? <laughs> Jay, Jay, what I said was it sounded much worse on television than it did in person. Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah for sure. Well, I, I think, you know, I think for all of us it took a little bit getting used to. But, uh, yeah, once, uh, you know, I thought the German broadcast who just muted the whole horn the whole time was was probably the most ingenious <laughs> way to get, to get over it. But, uh yeah, once we, once you kind of got used to it, it was uh, it was back to business for us. I know that. But, uh, looking forward to another good World Cup this summer. Oh yeah, the networks were asking them to put it away, and they said, "No way, we're telling the fans that they cannot bring in their vuvuzelas." But uh, it was an exciting World Cup for the Americans, making it to the round of sixteen. Um, what would you What would you say were the expectations? If you take us back, the USA at that time, and would you compare it to any team this time around in twenty eighteen? 
Well, I mean, that's a good question. And, you know, and I think, um, you know, everyone knows that there's going to be, you know, the tournament favorites, the Germanys, the Brazils, the Argentinas. And then there's that kind of next group of teams that are, can we get out of our group? And I think for, for teams like the U.S. and, you know, for this for this World Cup, I would say I would put teams like, um, you know, Croatia or, uh, you know, Japan, maybe a Sweden or Iceland, you know, can we get out of our group? And I think a lot of those teams on that second bubble uh, are always looking forward to, okay, let's pick up points. Let's see if it was, our goal was always England. England was our first game. So our goal was if we can pick up some points against England, that puts us in a great state to go into the, to the next round. And, uh, you know, we drew 1-1 against England, got us over that little bit of a hump to, to say, okay, well, now we're in this tournament. We had Slovenia and, and, and Algeria up next. So then it was, okay, you know, taking confidence into those matches. Um, and then, and then ultimately, um, you know, doing what's required in, in the third game. And, and, and that's the first game, easy. Second game, you're on your way. But the third game, that's when the pressure's really on because, it, you know, it, it only once every four years is the whole world watching at once. And, and, and you know, I get that pressure is real. And, and, and you know that those eyes are on you. So for us, uh, you know, Algeria was our last game. And, you know, I don't know if many remember, it was that dramatic 92nd winner uh, by a 92nd minute winner by Landon Donovan, yep. the last kick of the game, literally. Um, so, so we definitely went out. I remember uh, Bill Clinton and and uh, and uh, uh, Mick Jagger were in the stands that day. And after we had won, uh, I was getting my tongue stitched up in the locker room. I had, I had a half a tongue. Uh, I got elbowed in the first minute of the game off a corner kick. And uh, uh, I remember getting my tongue stitched up. The, the 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 locker room going crazy. And Bill Clinton walks in, walking in with a cooler of Budweiser. So, you know, those are the types of memories that you want to try to uh, try to make when you're at a World Cup. Jay Demerit is joining us, uh, played in the Premier League, played in Major League Soccer, and of course represented the United States at the 2010 FIFA World Cup. This obviously is more of an, op- an opinion, so there's no right or wrong answer. Well, there could be. Well, but they, if, if we'll I don't judge. agree with it, I'm going to say you're wrong. Um, but I get the question is, is, you know, there are superstars going into to this tournament, right? And you think right away of Neymar and Messi and, and Ronaldo, and then you have the defending champs as well in Germany. And then just a, a team that's been on top for so long. And of course had the disappointing exit in the group stage in, in 2014 and that's Spain. So who would be, whether it's a team or a player, what would be considered more disappointing to you if a team doesn't at least get to, I guess the quarterfinals, like quarterfinals is, it a, is generally, the yeah, bottom, let's just right? say quarterfinals, right? Like, would it be a bigger upset for, you know, Germany, Spain, and then if we start to individualize it, Neymar, Messi, or Ronaldo? Uh, I think the biggest, uh, I mean, to come off, uh, 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 you know, another Champions League, uh, Ronaldo, for instance, you know, I think Ronaldo and, and Portugal are in a great spot because they're kind of just sitting in the wings right now. They have come off a European champion. They are European champions. You know, again, Ronaldo has a lot of pressure on his shoulders after winning another Champions League, but they're like, you guys, Argentina, you guys, Germany, you guys, Brazil, take that pressure. You guys, you know, we're just going to sit back here and be quietly confident because we know we can we can beat the best teams in the world because we have just a couple years ago. So I think Portugal's a bit of a sleeper. Uh, and I think they like the fact that Brazil and those guys are, are, are getting most of this attention. Uh, that being said, I think it is deserved. I think you look at the likes of a Brazil or a Spain where, um, you know, I like, I, I like Spain, for instance, because I, I look across that, that roster. And you start to think about, I like to look at it as almost in three tiers. Like you have this, the old pros, Sergio Ramos, for instance, you know, these guys 
I've been there. They've lifted trophies. They know what it's like. They're going to go in with, with a huge amount of confidence and say, listen, guys, we've been here before. We've won many championships. Let's do this. But then you have this, this kind of, you know, you, you still need the young guns. These guys that have been waiting in the wings, like, say, for instance, on Spain, on Spain like in Isco, for instance, who's kind of waiting in the wings in, in Real Madrid for his chance to shine. There's, there's these kind of next tier of really kind of young guns. France has a lot of those guys that have played really well for their clubs, but on the biggest stage haven't, you know, scored a bunch of goals or haven't gotten that true limelight that's required to go and win World Cups. But I do feel like you have to have one of everything in that 23-man squad to really get through those quarterfinals and get into semifinals and go and win World Cups. So, you know, I see Spain being, being someone that has, uh, you know, those boxes ticks on every level. you got the old pros that will keep the confidence and the, and almost not, not, not succumb to the pressure, but then you got the young guns within that that want to keep pushing, that want to go and find that limelight. I, you know, I think Spain, for me, is, is, is one of the major favorites. Uh, that being said, I think Argentina is the same. Um, and, and, you know, Brazil, it's a crapshoot. So I, I would say those, those, those three teams, are, for, for me, are going to for sure uh, get in there. And then my favorite is still Germany. You right. know, you look at guys like, you know, I'm sure it's been talked about a lot in your show, but like even the likes of the young Premier League player of the year in Sonny, he doesn't even get picked. So to talk about the depth, you talk about, you know, again, guys in that German locker room that have been and seen it all, have lifted World Cup trophies, have, have lifted Champions League titles. Um, you know, I, I think they go in as just the juggernaut they always are, and I think they're just going to sing right right through to the final. The, the whole exercise of making picks, and I've I filled out my picks all the way through, it all depends on where you place in your group, right? And for me, a lot of that's determined by the order of your games. You kind of documented when you played, you played the most difficult team in your group first in England, then went to probably the second most difficult in Slovenia. Then you played the weakest in Algeria when you played in Slovenia, Algeria. It's a toss up, but the order of games, doesn't that matter so much in terms of where you place? Then it kind of like sets you up for that, you know, that, that round of 16 draw where it all depends on what happens in the other group. But to me, a lot Jay is decided based upon the order of games, which came about just based upon the luck of the draw. Oh, for sure. For sure. And, you know, and again, we, we talked a little bit earlier just about like certain confidence levels that teams carry throughout a big tournament. Right. Like this. You know, and again, right. I think, uh, you know, for us, we, we carried that confidence through that England game. That first, to get off the mark, you know, we knew that every light would be on us. We knew that that would be the big marquee game, U.S.-England, first game of the World Cup. And if we could if we could get out of that game with points, that would put us in, in not only a good state to get out of the group, but also just as a team confidence level to make sure that we understand that we're here and we're here to stay. And, 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 and you know, coming off a game like England, moving into, a, you know, a game like Slovenia, which, which you saw, we went down 2-0 finished almost well should have won that game three two with a goal getting called back in the last minute of the game but coming out of that um you know again getting another point going into algeria knowing if we just get a point we're gonna we're gonna win the group for the first time ever those are the kind of waves we talk about and you see that in every sport you know you you get a little confidence in the beginning and then you start riding that crest and you never know how far that crest can carry you as long as you're you as a team are in that in that mindset of let's ride this wave and let's let's make sure that we're crescendoing at this at the right times and like you said it, it can come on a oh we got to get this but if we beat Brazil and win our group you know imagine that amount of confidence that team will have moving into the next round so I, I think definitely that's what teams are thinking about they're going to definitely take each one of those games one at a time for sure you definitely can't look ahead in the World Cup 
but uh, there are certainly the order of games can play a big part in how far you get in the rounds and the confidence levels that come along with that. All right, Jay, you're a proper defender. You can appreciate proper defensive football, but at a tournament like this, people like to see free-flowing, attack-minded play. But oftentimes at major tournaments, things are cagey. Teams are playing simply not to lose rather than to win. Is there anything that you see in the way that football is played here in 2018 that would make you believe that we will see teams that were willing to take a little bit more risk, maybe press high and pick up the tempo to a certain degree? Or are you predicting yet another cagey major tournament? Um, I, I think there's always going to be cagey, but I, I think um, you know we're in a world now where you know the likes of France is just they're gonna, they're going to you know they, they they they're full throttle all the time. They can hit you from five different angles, and that's going to be their that's going to be their tactic. Their their defenses, yeah, it's solid, but it's not as solid as some of these other defenses. So they're going to know that they're going to have to be on the front foot, uh, you know, go for those fireworks up front. So that's that's what I love the World Cup because you, you you know you look at you look at those types of teams that that understand that they're going to have to push forward because their defense might not be quite solid enough to hold on through those later rounds. And I think as you get to the later rounds, you know, it does take those experience. You know, guys like Sergio Ramos in Spain. Um, you know, guys, um, you know, like that German national team that just seem to get better and better and more solidified as the rounds go on. And I, I think, um, you know, Belgium, again, if Vincent Company can come back and, and be the stalwart that he can be, um, you know, he can single-handedly hold down a defense. And, and, and he's got, he, he, more than most teams, has people next to him that can actually hold it down. So I see him, if he can get through these first couple games, I see Belgium really coming through because of, like, those fireworks that they do, like France, have a lot of young guns, like Romelu Lukaku, these guys that can come out of their shells as young guns are looking for this World Cup as a platform to say, I am a world's best player, I am ready to to, to play on this stage. So I see Belgium as a team that, again, has a great solid, uh, solid defense, that isn't going to get too crazy, but you still have those fireworks up front. So I see a team like Belgium really really kind of coming through this tournament and showing their true colors. Awesome stuff, Jay. We're hanging out with your buddy Terry Dunfield, if that's okay by you. Oh, well, you got to be careful with Terry. Is there, is there any pints around? <laughs> then we'll, we'll, we'll see how that goes from there. But I, th- I think that was... Is, we, know, we know it'll be a good time. I think that was part of his deal. <laughs> pints need to be involved, right? Right, that's that, right. Thanks, Jay, for doing this. Really appreciate it. All right, guys. Thanks, Take Jay. Take care. We'll talk to you soon. Cheers. All right, Andy, Jay had his say, shared a bunch of different teams that he likes heading into this tournament. It's time for us to have our say. Let's pick our World Cup final, our Golden Boot winner, and our Golden Ball winner as the best player of the tournament. Would you like to go first? Uh, well, who do you have in the I, final? I've, 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 I've broken it all. I filled out my on my FIFA.com bracket challenge. Oh, I didn't and do I put that it out. yet, though. And, and I actually ended up, and I don't know how, I ended up with the exact same final as Euro 2016. I ended up with France-Portugal. France-Portugal, where I think that France is going to go on and win this one. I've I've said France from the get-go, but the way that the draw broke down for me, I had some upsets. I had Croatia winning their group. That meant that Portugal avoided Argentina. I had Mexico winning their group over Germany, which meant they were avoiding Germany as well. So the draw opened up nicely for Portugal. And I had France (laughs) on the way to the final defeating Uruguay, who I had upsetting Spain in the round of 16. I had them beating France in the semifinal and then going on to beat Portugal in you the final. You have Uruguay beating Spain. Spain. See, this is where I'm... In the I'm, round of 16. I don't know. I've mean, got to make some big calls, right? <laughs> it's a bold <laughs> prediction. The only reason why I'm actually saying I, I'm leaning towards Spain, to be honest with you, is even though they had a horrendous 2014, 
I still feel like they've been on the up and up. Mm-hmm. Um, and you look at the amount of players that are on their squads, which were part of youth teams that played in international games that won. Right. They're just replenishing. And they're, cont- I mean, what is it, like 18, 19 now? Um, you know, unbeaten streak when it comes to international they're play. They're a wonderful team. Andy, I made that pick because I've had Portugal winning Group B because Portugal played Spain in that first match. Mm-hmm. And they just said Portugal winning, moving on by goal differential. It was based on the sequence of games. You can make the argument if Spain wins that group, which... I can be easily convinced that they will have an easier path all the way to the final as well. So Spain, it, it, again, it just defi- depends where if you finish first or second in your group, yeah. a lot of this, right? So Spain, I, I would have picked them to go deeper, and I like Uruguay, the matchup against them. Cavani, Suarez, a, a, an industrious midfield, and two center backs that ply their trade for Atletico Madrid in La Liga will not be will not shy away from anyone on the Spanish side. So that's, mm-hmm. a, that's a matchup out of context. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, so sp- so who are you who are you taking I'm, to win I'm, it? I'm going France. So you're going France? Yeah. Okay. So France is your pick to win it all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I don't know. I'm feeling like I'm leaning towards Spain. Okay. I know that sounds crazy, that, but that's that where I'm going. It doesn't sound crazy at all. Um, my final four, by the way, France, Brazil, Portugal, Senegal. Senegal is my dark horse you, well, in you this s- tournament. You're, you're on them. Pick. I know. Uh, <laughs> do, do you have a golden boot winner? The golden boot? Um... See this, and it all depends, right? Because now, if you're if you're looking at teams that if you don't believe they're going to make it out of the group stage, right, that obviously hinders. But again, I, I want to say if I'm going to make a bold prediction, okay. I've said this before. I think I came right out of maybe it was the second podcast that we did, and I said let's not come down hard on England for picking such a young squad. I feel like that can maybe sometimes surprise people when they're playing. And I know you said it's England; they're never sure. they're never playing like they don't have anything to lose. So you're rolling with Harry Kane, but I'm rolling with Harry okay. Kane. You knew exactly where I was going with it. It's a good draw. It was the best draw possible for England, and things could open up to go on a little bit of a run here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think that's a poor pick whatsoever. But it is, again, it's dependent on how far they can go. Mm -hmm. Harry Kane, set by the odds makers, about sixth or seventh favorite. So I'm going to go with Antoine Griezmann. If I'm going to go with France, I I think that they have a group that they can score some goals. He's been on flames. He's potentially looking to move to Barcelona or Manchester United. Mm -hmm. Griezmann was the golden boot winner at Euro 2016. I think he just picks up where he left off. Uh, And it'll be either him or Paul Pogba who will be the best player winning the golden ball Yeah, at the tournament? So I mean, if France, I'm going to go with France, then I have to stick with them. If you're going to go with a, a Spanish player, I, I, I don't know, or maybe it'll be another player like that will impress. Maybe Isco. Isco's right in the prime. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's Sergio Ramos. Maybe they're just very strong defensively. I don't know. There's plenty of different picks for Spain, mm-hmm. and I, I think they're, you know, they're, they're a t- if you look at the favorites in this tournament, I, I don't think you can overlook France, Brazil, and Spain. Those are mm-hmm. the three teams that jump out to me. Yeah. Even though I have Portugal go just but that's that's a bit based on how the draw breaks down. No, and that's where that's why it's so hard sometimes to say to stick on the same path. At least for me, I find it so difficult because you have so many incredible superstars on each team. Yep. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean the team as a whole is strong. Like, why wouldn't we want to even say Mo Salah, right? But then you've got other reasons why you just don't think Egypt just will go that far. It's just his shoulder, right? Yeah. It's just 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 his shoulder. But it's also all around, though. Like, do you really have faith that the Egyptian squad's going to go that far? I don't know. So it's that's where it makes it this, this very, very interesting. And then right. as far as the... Um, the golden ball. I don't know because I mean, Messi won it in 2014, but did he? A lot of people did he really deserve to win it? Like I don't know how that even when comes I think about. Of that tournament, he scored that wonderful goal to beat Iran in the group stage, uh, and he was it, it, he was great at times, uh, and he was be- the best player 
just no one. Germany was the sum of all their parts. So I think it just went to the greatest player on the planet at that time. Mm-hmm. A little bit of a default right there. So that's and that I don't know. I don't know who you this one. I don't know. I feel like this is when you start getting closer to the end. Who's been okay? Like that's what this Sit on the you fence know over is? there, Andy. Sit on the fence. But, we all see you. But it's like to me, <laughs> it's like hockey. The con Smythe. I can't tell you who the con Smythe is going right, to be right. until I actually see the way he's performing in the playoffs. That, that's you why. Know? Just pick pick who you think is going to be the best player on the best team. Make it David De Gea, <laughs> the Spanish goalkeeper. I'll, I'll maybe be he that. maybe De Gea ends up going home with it, right? If he's, I mean, but that's the thing. I I I'm with you where I still think Portugal can be a factor because I you know they're riding the high still. I think of Euro 2016 and they haven't shown any signs of slowing down. So how do you not they give it to Ronaldo? Ugly. They're willing to win ugly. How, do, how would be. you not give it to Ronaldo yep. at that point, right? Yep. Good stuff, Petrillo. This has been a blast. Yeah. And there's no better tournament than the World Cup. There you go. Thanks to our producer, Joe Narsa, for all of his hard work. Thanks mm-hmm. to Peter Montopoli, Terry Dunfield, and Jay Demerit for joining us. On behalf of Petrillo, I'm Wheels, and this is being Road to Russia 2018.